I'm Emily. And I'm Paulus. And welcome to Up Your Arts. The podcast which explores how the arts can enrich your lives. Oh, and that they do, it turns out. Do um, they? Yes. Oh, we've been asking for like months now. We've got an answer. <laughs> yes. Well, um, yeah, on our last podcast, we asked for people to let us know about their artistic or creative um, hobbies. Yeah, and I remember so, yeah, so we've had uh, a few responses, which is quite exciting. I got very excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we had uh, one from Gemma, who is a customer experience manager. Um, and um, she goes to buy, she, well, before lo- lockdown anyway, she used to go to bi-weekly acting classes um, at the Actors Centre. <laughs> ah, the lovely Actors Centre. Lots of love to everybody there. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that she was doing is there's no such thing as character, which she said was really fascinating because they were exploring like the different elements of acting and they were like telling stories each week. Sometimes they tell it vocally, sometimes they do it physically. So it's all kind of different sort of um, aspects of uh, acting that got involved and um, what she loved about it was like she was flexing her acting muscles um, she had um she was coaching people as well as part of it so she was getting to use like her work skills within it <laughs> well and places like the actor center once they can reopen are going to need our support uh, more than ever so uh, for the few pennies that people like us uh, do have to spare uh, in order to uh, support fabulous venues and uh, facilities like the Actor Centre, it's a good idea to think about how you can get creative and take classes at one of those places. Exactly, exactly. so I was thinking that in uh, the bump for this one I'll put um, the link to the Actor Centre as well. So there's... Yeah, I've been teaching cabaret for them on and off for oh, wow. oh God, nearly 20 years now. <laughs> And I've just about got to the stage where I feel like I'm not a fraud anymore. <laughs> just about. <laughs> what else have you heard? Um, so Dungeons and Dragons, lovely Matt, who's a security guard, um, was uh, our security manager, I think. Um, okay. he, um, he gets involved in and uh, Dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons games, and like he gets to like create a whole character. Like they can have a whole complicated backstory, and like if you can, if you're the dungeon master. Now I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. No, I'm not a Dungeons and Dragonsy person myself. <laughs> yeah, you get to like create the whole world. So you. I get... might be an orc. I could be an orc. I suppose <laughs> yeah. couldn't I? Would I be good as an orc? Maybe. I mean... I've got a grunt coming on after all these <laughs> <laughs> months. Wonderful, Dungeons and Dragons. I think we've got time for one more before we meet our guest this uh, fortnight. Yes, um, I'll put the details of the Dungeons and Dragons in the uh, in our links as well because that sounded really good fun. Um, right. Good game. Thank you to um, Matt for that. Yeah, and last one is Lucy, um, who has been um, looking after her friend's uh, kids throughout uh, lockdown. That doesn't Um, sound creative, it sounds awful. Don't do it. (laughs) Throw them out the window. But she's been tutoring them because she's a school teacher as well. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so she found these um, links to uh, like drawing and painting. Um, and she's not really done much drawing and painting, and uh, she's really got in, gotten into it. And well, as a sort of a beginner's guide to how to how to draw something, like how yeah, to draw a face, how yeah. to draw fingers. Say, 
Yeah, it was the first one was on, um, I think it was How to Draw a Bear. <laughs> so she a said, bear? Yeah. So <laughs> you she, mean like a gay man in a nightclub that's really hairy? Oh, really? I, well, it could be. <laughs> and it is an actual bear. I'm <laughs> oh. Oh, but, I think there could be a queer one of these that would be a tremendous amount of fun. <laughs> And and it's a really, really good way. We'll put a link on to in our description for the information of the drawing classes as well. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah. But that is a really good segue um, into uh, into introducing our guest, because, uh, you know, on our on our queer drawing course that we're going to set up, we might want to teach people to draw an international compare of decades <laughs> standing. And if we did, they might look and sound a little bit like this fortnight's guest. Who is it, Emily? It is the amazing Dusty Limits Cabaret for Dusty Limits. <laughs> <laughs> She's so excited she just spat. <laughs> that, cough, that cough came through my screen. You should have been wearing a mask. Just I'll just go. <laughs> Oh my god, what's happened? <laughs> you see, this is why I'm not a compare. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a cough coming on. <laughs> yes, <it's laughs> That's the best introduction I've ever had. Beautiful people, it's Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, now don't don't pretend you've never done that to a burlesque dancer you didn't like. <laughs> Hello everyone, thank you for having me. It's really nice to see you. <laughs> now I did I did warn uh, Emily before we started, uh, but it, it's fair to warn uh, our listeners and anyone watching on YouTube that the next 40 minutes is most likely going to be Dusty and I misbehaving whilst <laughs> Emily tries to keep things in some kind of order because we, we've known each other a long time and we do a similar job and so I can't imagine we're not going to just fly quite close to the wind with basically dishing dirt on other people. <laughs> We've known each other 20 years. 20 years, Paulus. Wow. I know. I, know, right? I had hair. I had hope. I had the things day, I had before I met you, I tell you. One day the two of us will be the subject of some kind of dreadful ITV sitcom. <laughs> and, and we'll be played by ourselves. They've already made it and it was really bad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we'll be the subject of a court case. Well, <laughs> we can take that for granted, I think. Yeah, that's happening. That's happening soon. Uh, it's funny you should mention Dungeons and Dragons because I used to play Dungeons and Dragons a lot. And then I then I wrote my own games based on Dungeons and Dragons because I didn't like Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't think it was up to scratch. Oh, wow. And so I was a proper little geek when I was at school. My brother was as well. And he's gone on to great things in game design and computer game design. But I read an article very recently about all the celebrity D&D &D players. And then the, the, the author of the article was saying, well, is it surprising these creative people, including directors and screenwriters, were all mad about D&D? &D? Because you do, as you say, you create worlds and characters. So their whole teenage years when they were ostracized at school and never got to sit at the cool kids table, they were off learning their craft before they even hit you know, their 20s. So of course they're great writers and imaginers because they had their entire, you know, puberty with a, a small handful of friends, um, <laughs> creative and creating all the things you need when you write a script or you tell a story. 
I, I suppose that. that. I suppose there's, but I think it's fascinating because I, I, I think that there's a lot of people in the world that have a very limited view of what creativity encapsulates or, or, or can include. You know, when you read the artist's way, she's very quick to suggest that gardening is a, is a form of creativity. Cooking can be a very creative thing to do and should be part of your life as an artist. And uh, I mean, I, I don't do things like Dungeons and Dragons and, and that sort of geekery, but I can quite see how there is creativity linked to that. How can how is that not creative? Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. And you're testing your imagination constantly. You've got to, you know, if you're playing the game, you've got to picture yourself in a situation that isn't real. Now, isn't being in an unreal situation, but but behaving in a real way, isn't that the kind of one of the definitions of acting and various kinds of creativity? Yeah, I, I just love the irony of these, that these people have grown. I mean, Vin Diesel, Judy Dench plays Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I am not making that up. Dame Judy Dench was introduced to it by Vin Diesel on the set of one of those science fiction films they did together. And apparently really into it. So, yeah, inspiration. Don't let anyone tell you that what you're doing is geeky and wrong. You're just you're just paving your own way to creativity. <clears throat> what is, I've had a couple what of wines. I should also point that out. doing in the same movie. What is the movie? <laughs> it's um, the Chronicles of Riddick. She plays oh. a ghost. <laughs> and does Vin do any acting? Does well, <laughs> in as much as he can, he, he plays. <laughs> He takes his shirt off, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. For some people, that is acting. Yeah. <laughs> this is. I think the thing that links all of the people that I know that are creative, no matter what age and no matter what they're into, whether that be Dungeons and Dragons or playing the violin, is that as uh, as you pointed out earlier on, Dusty, is that they have a very small group of friends or these people. <laughs> At school, we were not the popular kids. Were you, Dusty? <laughs> not the cool kids. Were you no, not? We had our little, I had my little kind of breakfast club style gang at school. Kind of <laughs> four or five people that, that didn't really fit in anywhere, but didn't not fit in. We were just kind of our own little unit. It was, it was very much a, um, whatever he's called. Uh, John, John Hughes, is that the director? Oh, the movie. John, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not John Waters. That's, a different... <laughs> That's very different. Very different genre. <laughs> Emily's just raring to get a question in, I can tell. No, 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 I just enjoy listening. <laughs> Have you got any real official questions? Because I'm just picking things up off the floor here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mine on a post-it. Well, <laughs> well, thinking about, like, I suppose, like, being young and stuff like that. So, like, when, um, when you were younger, like, what artistic hobby did you have that really kind of made you go yes that's what I want to do I want to go into acting I want to go into singing well how much younger you mean like in my teens or in my 20s or oh I'll, I'll give you the potted version so in my teens I was I was good at all my subjects at school apart from maths I was extremely good at them and that's really difficult because normally you find one thing you're good at and you stick to it. But I was good at kind of everything. I'm not bragging. It's just true. I've got school results to prove it. Um, <laughs> but I loved, I loved art and I kind of thought about being a painter and then I thought about being Australian a fashion school, designer. Just to be clear. So it's not, you know, not a real school, right? It was Hogwarts. Okay. <laughs> I, was very, I was very good in potions. Um, <laughs> Well, so there's a thing where you're supposed to kind of find your vocation and I didn't, but I thought, well, that's fine. You know, I'm, I've, I've got a few ideas, but I didn't have any particular interest in acting or performing. I liked it, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have that yearning passion some people have. And then I went on my gap year and went around Europe and kind of 
absorbed a lot of culture and creativity that just confused me even more. So then I did what any young confused person does when they have no sense of what their life path is. I, I did an English degree. <laughs> um, and then I stumbled sideways into acting by doing some drama subjects and then becoming interested in acting. And then I auditioned for a show and got the lead, which happened to be Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Show. It was a student production, but it was pretty good. Yeah. And then I discovered the bug and went, this is what I want to do. This is, there's no question. And then I auditioned for drama schools, didn't get into any of them, um, uh, did some rather pointless academic postgraduate work, uh, and then um, came second in a karaoke competition in a gay bar in Brisbane and got a one-way ticket with the proceeds to London. And the rest is a blur. <laughs> What song did you sing for the karaoke? Oh, come second, I sang Unchained Melody and My Way. Ah, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> that was before we used the term mashup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then it was just incorrect. Now it's a mashup all of a sudden. It was just cacophony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, noise. That's it, what was just a, it, it was just then. white noise, yeah. But then and I you literally. You spent the money to get to the UK. You literally did. Yeah, I, I won $500 and the ticket was $532. Oh, wow. I remember very precisely. I arrived on April 23rd, 1999. And about 12 months later, I went into a restaurant in Old Compton Street and met a drag queen. <laughs> Which was me. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, it is fair to say, Dust, that you performed more as yourself than as characters isn't yes. it yeah if but, but dusty limits is a character dusty limits is a character but a friend when i was starting out doing that character kind of doing solo shows on the on the battersea barge as we remember it so fondly yeah. um some work colleagues came and a friend of mine from work back when i had a day job and she said well the thing with dusty limits he's just you but more so <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't like someone like Sarah Louise Young who creates a character like La Poule Plombe who is definitely not her. Yeah. This is just me, but with a with a lot more makeup on and slightly exaggerated hand movements. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was like a kind of, you know, Al Pacino, you know, Marlon <laughs> that go deep into another person kind of <laughs> I mean, everyone knows the only reason I actually ended up doing cabaret is because I get to drink on the job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you're drinking on the job right now. For those Cheers. Oh, are, are, you pay listening. are you paying me for this? <laughs> no, it's very like cabaret. Yeah. <laughs> in that you're getting nothing out of it and our audience is very small. But yeah, <laughs> 45 minutes of my life doing my best. I get nothing at the end of it. It's just like doing the fringe. <laughs> And two nuns and a whippet are tuning in. So, yeah, <laughs> this is cabaret, kids. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to meet that whippet. I know, right? We talk about the whippet so much. Does the whippet have a name? I'm so sorry. We've done it, haven't we? We have so thoroughly done it. <laughs> I like, uh, I'm actually just really enjoying it. My my face actually aches from laughing. So much. <laughs> Ask an official question, Emily. Go on, ask an official question. I, well, I suppose it, this one kind of goes out to both of you. No, we don't, no, we don't like it. We're moving on. We're talking about something. Because, <laughs> like, you've both been around the cabaret scene since it began, the neo-cabaret scene since it began. Well, you're both, you were involved in it. How it, you, it was between the two of you, is that right? Am I making There were a few of us. It wasn't just me and Paul. As Sarah Louise was involved. There were other people. But there was a kind of, 
there was a weird thing because when I when I started doing Cabaret in London and that was with Paul and oh. Sarah Louise and people like that. I'd come to London because I wanted to be a cabaret singer. You know, I'd seen the film and decided that's what I want to do with my life. And then I and assumed London would have an amazing exactly scene and like it didn't have one. It, did, it had almost nothing. And if you said cabaret, people either thought cruise ships or drag and I didn't do either of those things. And and so it was a weird experience. There was literally more cabaret in Brisbane in yeah. 1999 than where it was in London when I arrived. So it was a weird thing to go, well, do I do this? And I guess the way I can do this is just by doing it myself. And because it's so cheap to produce cabaret shows compared to other kinds of shows, yeah that was possible and and we got lucky i did a i did a tutoring job in monaco of all places and came back with enough money to sort of throw a bit of it at a at a show indeed i think you you bought a microphone and a lead didn't you and yeah. i found a piano player literally on the street <laughs> yeah. remember him yeah you you'll do get in here <laughs> putting on a show do you know cabaret it's very like it's very like the ukulele it's just really easy to pick up and start that doesn't mean you're any good at it or that anybody wants to hear it but it's it's very easy to sort of make happen uh, on its very basic level i think i think that's that's part of what makes it brilliant and wonderful because anyone can try yeah because you know you can't you can't go and do ballet unless you've trained for 10 years you know you can't join no. a ballet company unless you've done it, but anyone can get up on a stage and do a thing and and that means there's huge latitude for creativity but the downside is it means anyone can get up and do it <laughs> and, <laughs> and you also like the ukulele you just spend your entire career sort of defending the, the the existence of cabaret and the fact that you, you you class yourself as a cabaret performer and uh, and what other people think about that you know and uh, sort of I don't know how how do you feel about it Dust you know twenty plus years on having hitched your wagon as I have too to the word and the genre cabaret because it is a genre in itself yeah. I firmly believe uh, do you feel are there times when you feel like oh, well I, I've given it so much. I don't know if it's given me quite as much back. Or... I, I've certainly had those dark nights of the soul where I think I could have branded, is the word, myself differently. I could have said I'm an actor or a director or a, or just a, a, a straightforward singer. Or, like cabaret seemed to confuse people for a long time. But yeah. when I started, I'd say I'm a cabaret singer and people would just look at me completely blankly. And now I say I'm a cabaret singer and people who probably don't have never seen the film Cabaret for a start go, oh, wow. OK, I'm yeah. in for the long haul. That's how I like to sell it. <laughs> and it certainly it just shows conviction and fortitude on my part and certainly has nothing to do with the fact that I'm not qualified to do any other job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that thing you know? in lockdown where you think, oh, it's lockdown. I'll update my CV. That took four minutes. <laughs> But it's um, uh, it, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think you're right. For the first ten years, most of the job was was educating people what it was, what the job was, and that it existed. I had a huge fight on uh, email. I don't think it was a public forum. It might have been a public forum in the early days of public forums. You know, clunky old ones that don't exist anymore. With the reviewer Mark Shenton, and I asked him to stop saying publicly that Cabaret was dead because it wasn't, and it was a yeah. list of places that he could come and see Cabaret on a regular basis. Yeah, and he, you know, he deleted me and blocked me from all the places he could delete and block me. And he's never spoken to me since because he didn't like the fact that. Um, I was I was challenging what he was regularly well, saying. In we remember the whole papers. the whole Gary Barlow incident where he said, "Oh, it's a bit too cabaret," and there was a whole backlash against that. But a brilliant cabaret backlash that was creative and funny and 
good humoured, but also making a point that was a point worth making. But then I, you know, up until the lockdown started, there were so many venues. We'd lost a few venues, but there's still so many venues, so many nights, so many really extraordinary nights that are inclusive or that are kind of, you know, intersectional, I think is the word that people use these days. Um, really exciting queer nights and nights for people of colour and nights for people of different levels of ability and all these sorts of things, all happening at once in London. Yeah. All of which could very easily be described under the rubric cabaret because they, they fit the definition. So it was alive and well and, and absolutely scintillating and extraordinary and interesting. And, and then, you know, COVID. <laughs> Before before I let Emily uh, ask an official question, because because it's come up, uh, I know what my answer is whenever people ask me what cabaret is, and I've been asked it for for decades now. What I don't know if I know what yours is. What do you say to people? What is cabaret? I, I I have a few times been invited to talk on the radio or do like a panel discussion at someone like Central School, uh, and. I've condensed it down because I know I will just run off at the mouth. So basically, it's a small, intimate venue. There's no fourth wall. It's about being in the room with those people. And it usually involves music and it almost invariably involves drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I think uh, that's, that's what I say, too. But I also point out that, that the uh, you've probably both heard me say this a million times, that the Oxford English Dictionary definition, <laughs> uh, which has not changed, it's not been updated since 1984. It may be older than that. I'm not sure. And Wikipedia is with it on this. Uh, it points out that um, anything can be happening on the actual stage. Yeah. And it's what it's how we experience the experience as the audience, how the auditorium is laid out or whatever. That is the crucial part of the definition. And I find that endlessly fascinating. I think sometimes that <clears throat> that's quite useful, though. We, we talk about cabaret seating, for example. Yeah. And sometimes I find that's an easier way to explain what a cabaret is by saying it's little tables and chairs and people having a glass of wine and watching a show. And like so sometimes that's the easy way in. But the German has a wonderful word which I've used in, in lectures, which is Kleinkunst, which means little art. And that's as opposed to the kind of the big grand operatic art. It's it's little things. They're short, they're to the point, and there's one after another, and they're on a small scale, and you can have immense flexibility. Because yes, exactly as you say, you can have anything on that stage. You can have a performing seal, it's still cabaret. <laughs> And I, I think that's beautiful. I think it's a, it's a lovely way of thinking about art. I'm very much a less is more person and I'm very much inclined towards that. Not not for art generally, but for, for me personally, that's the kind of art I want to make is just little bite-sized things like, like hors d'oeuvre. Doing as little as possible is what I'm hearing. Hey, silly. I'm a lazy <laughs> drunk. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the saw recorded, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, talking about I suppose uh, COVID and um, like lockdown, how's that uh, changed for you? Have um, what have you kind of done to uh, keep the cabaret alive online? Um, so I've got to preface this by saying that, uh, like from a personal standpoint, and weirdly, but actually not. In my experience, not that weirdly for a live performer. I'm actually a very introverted person. Mm. And I've, I've been effectively self-isolated for 
years and years and years. In fact, I was in my front garden having a cigarette last night and chatting to one of my neighbours at a respectful social distance. And then someone walked past and we all nodded and smiled and chatted and were catching up and had a longer conversation than I've had with either of them in the 10 years I've lived in this block of flats, which yeah. led me to the conclusion that social distancing has done more to bring people together. <laughs> Then the freedom of London ever has. Yeah. So for me, nothing much changed on a personal level. I'm still doing the things that I always do. I kind of do a little bit of writing or a little bit of sketching or whatever it is. Um, uh, on a professional level, obviously, there's no live gigs. And yeah. I went straight into high gear, into top gear when when lockdown was announced, not even before when it was officially happening, the week before. I was like, right, I need to get stuff happening and I need to learn how to use the internet properly. And so I've just been making online content and tr not trying to replicate the live experience because you just can't do that com completely, right. but trying to deliver little shows like this show I do called Cabaret Viral, which I curate and, and host, which is just great performers doing five minutes each, little half hour episodes that people can enjoy on their sofa without having to dress up. They can have a glass of wine, you know, that they got from the fridge for no money as opposed to from the bar for eight quid. And <laughs> So I've just been trying to put put yeah put things out there. It, it is no substitute, but it keeps me busy. It generates a little bit of money, and otherwise I would, you know, I'd just be playing my PlayStation all day. <laughs> I have that's not I, a joke. I, to share, <laughs> but I don't know if I don't know if either of you saw this. I'd love to know what you think about it. Um, a a a theatre director. Um, that some of you that you may know, I'm not going to say their name. That that also has they they have a podcast and and a blog. And they on their blog, I find this part quite ironic. On their blog, um, maybe two months ago now, maybe six weeks ago, their entire blog was a plea to stop putting content to people like you, you and I, Dusty and Emily, because we're doing this podcast right now, and you doing dance classes and stuff, aren't you? Right? Yeah. Um, to stop putting content out there and suggesting that it was just all white noise and that it was substandard somehow and to to step back and to wait until I don't know we could all be in a room and, and, and curate it better and, and, and then share it and I, uh, I I'm sure you'll have opinions of, of what you think about that person saying that on a blog no less um, filling up the internet uh, uh, with, with white noise um, but also on the idea and it comes back to that sort of little art point that you made earlier on dust about you know uh, the, there's a difference isn't there between being creative and creating content and what do you put out and when do you share there's a lot of things there so I'll stop and let you speak can I can I unpick the first one about the this this director? The yes. first thought, the first thought, literally the first thought that popped into my head was how much money did they have in their savings account? That they have the goal to say, stop bombarding us with white noise and substandard content. We are doing this. I'm not making a lot of money, but I'm making money because I've got no other source of income. So my my uh, hackles went up as you described this person um, and I hope they get that message. Um, secondly, no, so of course, some of the content that goes out via the Internet is substandard. Some of the stuff that I've done has been pretty rubbish because I didn't know how the camera worked or <laughs> I hadn't bothered to invest in a, in a decent USB microphone, which has cost me 60 quid, which I can ill afford. Um, yeah. But some of it's been very good indeed. And if I'm entirely honest, I would say most of the theatre that I see and most of the content that goes out on live stages is also substandard. <laughs> 
So just because people have got into a room and spent two or three months working or even eight weeks working on on putting something together, a musical, a play, whatever it might be, a cabaret, just doesn't mean that the end result's going to be better, does it? <laughs> Uh, I, I, one likes to think the more time and energy and money you put into a project, the better the end result will be. Um, but it's also a question of expectations. People make allowances for the fact that some of the online content isn't going to be, you know. I mean, there, there are things going out online where they have vision mixers and sound technicians and they have the resources to make something amazing that's indistinguishable from television. Mm. Um, but I, I, my, my, I'm absolutely going to take the side of the people who are just sitting there with their laptop you know, like me, their laptop perched on a box set of the West Wing and a ring light on top of their makeup case, <laughs> because that's what I got to work with. And I'm going to keep putting content out. If no one wants to watch it, no one has to watch it. I'm not holding a gun to someone's head or demanding money from them. Um, yeah, it's just it, you know, it's a little demoralizing to have someone in, who I assume is a known entity saying mm. stop what you're doing most of us can't afford to stop what we're doing <laughs> and, and not just yeah. financially but also psychologically well that's another huge point isn't it what do you think about it em? well yeah i mean they who is that person to say stop putting stuff out there and also like a lot of theater as well i mean i've paid plenty of money to go and see a west end musical and it was shit <laughs> <laughs> you know so there's plenty of high um paying stuff that is like rubbish it's called waitress let's just add that let's just say it shall we <laughs> sorry that was not emily talking that was <laughs> I can't even remember the name of it. I tried to leave halfway through, but my friend wouldn't let me. It was awful. It was the one that had that Westlife song from it. Oh dear, well that's never a good start when there's a Westlife song involved. Is it Whistle Down the Wind? Are you talking yes, about? Yes, Oh, it. well that's Andrew Lloyd Webber for you, dear. That was awful. <laughs> I mean, that was two hours of my life. I was never going to get back. The Westlife <laughs> song was two hours long. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it felt like it was. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I mean, I get really angry when I go to um, like West End theatres and like the play is terrible. It's like, it's just like, I just hate that. It, it just, it, like it got through that many checkpoints and right. they're charging people like hundreds of pounds. <laughs> checkpoints, I love that. <laughs> and it's also, still turned. This idea, this idea that, that, um, that, that, the work that's going out is substandard or maybe it's tech you know it, it might be performatively substandard or it might be technically substandard like everything i've put out because i don't know what i'm doing i'm 48 you know cut me some slack <laughs> it's not gonna it's not going to put people off going to see live things they're not going to throw their hands up and go oh my god live performance is rubbish if anything it'll whet their appetite they'll be desperate for something good on a real stage so i just don't understand what this person's point was mm. and i i don't have the energy all the time to read their blog no. I, well i've got to play my playstation well it's, it's more white noise you see that blog isn't it it's just <laughs> exactly. more white noise so. when you were describing that someone pumping out white noise into the internet i thought was it dominic cummings <laughs> <laughs> dominic white noise cummings <laughs> Emily, have you got an official question? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry if you haven't. I mean, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I do what I was just like, this kind of 
told you all what I'm dispassionate about in the album. Lloyd Webber. I mean, we all feel like that, darling, don't we? <laughs> what are you most passionate about within the art? What I'm most passionate about? Yeah. Oh, God, that's one of those really big questions. And, and I could give you four different answers, depending on kind of the specific context. Um, I'm going to give you the, the first one that popped into my head. And it's the lamest one of all, maybe. Uh, but it's telling truths. Not necessarily in a straightforward lecturing the audience way, but it's performing, creating and saying or singing things that I feel like have a grain of truth in them. Yes. Um, and I prefer to sugarcoat that by making it funny if and when I can. Because I think personally, that's how I absorb information much better. If you make me laugh, it, as opposed to sort of, you know, throwing it at me like I'm not an agitprop kind of an artist but then you know the second thing that popped in my head was just making people laugh or entertaining them or making them have a taking them away from themselves for a while and just get you know giving them an hour or two of of not having to think about too much so and, and those things might appear contradictory so I don't really know I'm a, I'm a massive contradiction really I'm you know <laughs> no, but I think making people laugh is like what I think that it, I'm very passionate about that as well like i try to make my cabarets fun and welcoming for that very reason because I want people to forget what's going on outside and enjoy themselves and laugh and just relax. Don't you think that there's a stigma sometimes from maybe other artists, maybe uh, maybe audiences, some audiences, um, that the, the making people happy, singing them a song or, or, or telling a joke, even if it's, you know, uh, I. I've told a few obvious, a few, you know, cock and kebab, a few base jokes in my time. When there isn't a script and there's no fourth wall, these things come out of your mouth sometimes, especially when you can't be asked sometimes. <laughs> you know, but even... <laughs> but even Don't give it all away! <laughs> there is something, there is something uh, sort of wrong or or, or or not good enough or or nor naughty about being somebody who makes people happy that it's substandard yeah. as opposed to being a, a a very dramatic artist or a performer that comes out and and screams at the audience for five minutes and demands something without throwing a gag in there right. the world the world needs its its serious artists and its dramatists and its and its agit props and it needs its clowns and its entertainers just as much we, if it was all one or the other we'd be living in a in a you know completely decadent society but everyone has that has that role to play I think it's just finding what you're good at and sticking to it um, <laughs> I mean for, yeah. for me and again I think this I, this literally just occurred to me I think it's because I am actually believe it or not quite a shy person but being on a stage and entertaining people in a small room uh takes me outside myself in that way so I'm quite in a strange way I'm quite passionate about that in small doses small measured doses <laughs> of, of social contact and then I can go home and lock the door but your job your job is a compare dust and and and, and even, even when you're not facilitating for others even when it's just you and maybe your musicians there is some there is somebody there on stage that is able to in, in fact thriving on the way that they are uh, that having a dialogue with other human yeah. beings in a way that perhaps you don't or can't or don't want to when you are off stage 
question yeah. mark <laughs> i no i think that's a really i think that's a really good observation and and, and it's part of what it, it it's what you would understand this as a host yourself is that it's it's a kind of invisible skill because you don't notice it when it's good but you do notice it when it's bad and what makes it good is the ability to talk to people like they're actual people in the room and i in fact very many years ago you might not remember a dear friend of ours who who was a, a brilliant singer and a brilliant actor who went on to to be in a big show on broadway but he used to do our shows on the Battersea Barge yeah, and he was paralyzed with fear of the idea of having to talk to the audience because he yeah. didn't have a script to work with. So he would just get up and he would just sing the song and do it beautifully. And then he would get off and hit the bar. And he said to me, he found it like he, he was watching what we did. And he said, I just can't even imagine having yeah. that dialogue with the people, not knowing what they're going to say back and yeah. where to go from there. Well, there's um, no net, is there? There's no safety net. Uh, no. Uh, the script is a safety net. If, if you've got one, a director is a safety net. If you've got one, you know, somebody else standing next to you on stage with, with, a, with a line ready to be fed. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're all safety nets. And so stand on stage on your own without a plan other than some sort of running order and talk directly. And, and, and I don't think people get what we mean by that a lot when we talk about the, the art of comparing. But you go out there. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I'm getting at. Um, when I work at Café de Paris sometimes, the lovely, uh, lovely uh, close-up magicians, sometimes it's Laura London, sometimes it's one of the others, they will come out before the show starts to the dressing room and they'll tell me who's in the audience and like where the hen night is and avoid those people because they're miserable and they're from Scandinavia you know, <laughs> and they won't understand the jokes. And it's really sweet of them. I really know where that's coming from, but I often... I often have to just forget everything they've just told me because I want to step out on stage knowing nothing about these people because it's not fair otherwise, um, I think. And my job is to turn up and expect nothing except everything. And, yeah. uh, and there's a, there is no safety net there. And there, it's a tremendously, I think it's a brave thing to do. I think you do it better than anybody else that I've ever seen in the entire world. And it's partly because you're so well-educated that you can talk to anybody about anybody, about <laughs> anything. It's amazing. But it's, this goes back to your original question, Emily, which is, it's about adrenaline. <laughs> Penny, the pennies now literally just drop for me, which is what it comes down to is someone who would be very happy just sitting in my flat all day, which I'm doing, but that, yeah. that hasn't changed my lifestyle at all. I need an adrenaline rush from time to time. And, and, and that is a roller coaster. It's a real it's it's I imagine what surfers feel or, or you know, what do they call those 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 yeah. people who dive off tall buildings? There's a yeah, Something drivers, something jumpers, cliff jumpers. I always get free basing and uh, uh, free basing is a very jumpers. different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Base jumpers. <laughs> you're not free basing at the moment. Free basing gives you a similar effect. I've never tried. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And the whole, you know, it's actually, it, it can be a, the manifestation of a shy person. And something that a way that they found to live and or, and a career that they found to make sense. People don't make people don't believe me when I say I'm shy, but uh, but I understand what you what you mean yeah. when you say that. So on that note, um, what is your creative top tip? Top tip with up your ass. So I was I was told in advance of this that I would have to have a creative top tip, and of course that just strikes fear into my heart because instantly I have about eleven, <clears throat> and they're all valid <laughs> but in completely different ways. So what I'm going to say is, 
if you're starting out, this is advice that was given to me and it was very, very good advice is if you're starting out and you, you really want to do this and you have to really want to do it, trust me, um, try everything that you can try. No, uh, you know, giving allowances for you might have to hold down a day job, maybe. But whatever you can do, try it all. Do a I did a, a many years ago, I did a physical theater summer school for three weeks that changed me completely as a performer. I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. You know, if you want to try singing, try singing. If you want to try dancing, try dancing. You don't have to be brilliant at everything. Just give everything a go. And eventually you'll start to find out, especially for cabaret performers, which is I'm speaking to specifically, um, you'll find out where your skill set really is and, and what you can then focus your energy on. So when you're starting out, try everything. Eventually you'll start to say no to stuff. And that's also good. <laughs> One day you will learn to go, actually, no, I'm just doing that. I'm not interested. Thank you so much, but no. And you won't you won't make an excuse. You won't go, oh, I would love to, but unfortunately, um, my arm fell off. Say, no, not doing it. Um, so that's my first bit of advice. Some advice that was given to me by um, a, a very great stand-up comedian many years ago in Edinburgh is if you're doing stuff that's word-based, write, 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 and then write some more, 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 and then, write some more, and then like 5% of it will be useful. But you have to write and write and write to get that 5%. And that's the magic 5% or 10%, you know, depending how good you are. Um, and and take breaks from it, which is a thing I've never really been able to do because I made the very rash decision to make this my sole source of income in 2006. And uh, that involved taking out a big loan from a certain bank, which will not be named, uh, the, the Bank of Voldemort. That's how I like to think of it. Um, if you can possibly schedule regular breaks, just a week or two do we just go i'm not doing this for a little while you know i'll check my emails first thing in the morning and apart from that <clears throat> I'm, I'm stepping away that is very very good and healthy if uh, if our job which I, I i think it is to some extent if our job is to help hold a mirror up to society and god knows we're going to need that more than ever <laughs> if we're it's a black mirror now isn't it <clears throat> right it's very um, much a black mirror. Yeah, yeah. Um, then, then we have to be able to, as, as well as, you know, standing on the sidelines and, and observing it, you have to sort of jump in and, and take part once in a while as well, don't you, before you run out of some anything to comment on? Well, yeah. yeah. Yes, I think so. I think you've got to be involved. Like, I, I think it, it's, it's very easy to criticise from a lofty height. Yeah, <laughs> um, but also your criticisms just become more passionate and more valid if you're to some extent involved. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that's for those who are doing political kind of work. I mean, you know, observational humour doesn't necessarily depend on that. You just need a pair of sunglasses, really. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm interested in what you said at the beginning of your top tip about um, you're going to want to really want to do this. You're going to have yeah. to want to really want to do this. And um, so I remember somebody, was it Patricia Routledge said to me once, if you can do anything else, do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true story. I used to work for, for um, a very big theatrical and literary agency. I won't say their name, but you can probably guess. Um, and I was working for one of the agents who was about to retire. And um, I, was, I was her assistant for a few weeks. And we got a letter in from a, from a young woman who was, I think she said she was 15, 14, 15, and she really wanted to be an actress. And dear, uh, insert name of very famous, very successful agent with very famous clients here. Uh, do you have any advice for a young person who wants to become an actress? And agent, 
handed the letter back to me with the word don't written on the book. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, I drafted a very nice letter and got her to sign it. Yeah, I remember that. But you, but it's like, it's like anything that requires a huge amount of work where the reward is not always proportionate to the work invested. Mm. Um, you know, if you really want to be a hedge fund manager, you've got, you know, do it, but you've really got to want it. And you're an evil person, but yeah, you've got to you've got to want it because you'll get knocked back so many times. And it's any anything in the creative industries is actor, cabaret performer, singer, dancer, anything, painter, sculptor, writer, you know, poet, especially poet. You will get knocked back a hundred times before you get a break, and you have to get comfortable with that idea, or or don't do it. Leave some space for people who really want it. Because I'm I'm a little bit exhausted by dilettantes with trust funds who decide they're going to be <laughs> not Phoebe Waller Bridge, <laughs> where, where they're not risking anything. Let, let yeah, the people who yeah. really want it do it. Yeah. Oh, we got polemical there. Sorry, I didn't mean to. It's the one, I it's know, the one right? talking. It's not me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know it's if from I'm, Chile. I I'm... It's from Chile. So the spirit of revolution is in this one. Come on, shake the bar out. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I, I, I'm almost sad that that's exactly uh, our time because I feel like we only just, we, just like you said, Dusty, about the writing and you've said to me about teaching as well before. It's always the last five minutes. Mm. It all happens in the last five minutes. It all happens in the last five minutes. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it's so true. It, all the singing teaching I do, uh, it's like that. The, they they see the clock and they go oh good I can relax and then bam <laughs> then we do some work <laughs> then we do some work yeah it's amazing it's been so nice to see you Dusty thank you you too and you Emily and um, lovely to meet you do you have anything you want to plug before you disappear is there I've got a hot there's so much I've got going on I've got Doctor Sketchy which is a life drawing class which we do every Monday live I've got um. Uh, singing telegrams that you can book. We're doing we're in triple figures almost now. That's a lie. Um, I've got Cabaret Viral, which is on YouTube. I can share links. But the thing to do is to go to www.dustylimits.co.uk and all the links are there. Okay. Marvelous stuff. Thank you, right. Thank you very you. much. Thank you to our guest, Dusty Limits. Lots and lots of love to you. Just stay there whilst we say goodbye to our wonderful listeners and viewers. Don't forget that you can find us on Spotify and uh, we'd like a review. We'd love a review, please, if no, you're on Apple, on yeah. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and we're on Twitter, Up Your Arts at, uh, at Twitter. And Emily, if people want to let us know what they're doing to keep creative, how's the best way to get in touch with um, you? You can get in touch with us either through the Twitter account at Up Your Arts or um, email me at up your arts. I uh, know up your arts at gmail.com. We're saying and we are saying arts there. Up your arts, just, arts. just to be clear. Yeah. Well, depending, unless you're that director that wrote the blog, then we're saying something. <laughs> <laughs> right, everybody, wave goodbye before we get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs>